I was thinking recently about 2 Corinthians 5, 20, where, where Paul essentially says, we are the ambassadors of Christ, and as the ambassadors of Christ in his stead, we beseech you. Uh, <clears throat> ambassador is an, kind of an interesting role because it's a very important role. I'm talking about our government. The ambassador of a country is a very important and prominent position. Does anyone here know the name of any of our ambassadors? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Brother Seth does. I mean, or John. I don't know. There, there are some people here who have such an interest in that kind of thing that maybe you do, but you get the point. You know the president's name and the vice president's name and maybe the secretary of state, and you probably can name some senators. And you know, you're, Those names are known to you, but ambassadors, not known. We don't tend to know them. They're not common household names. The name is not important. It's what they represent. It's who they represent. Also, do you know that over there, and let's just pick a country, France, where we have an ambassador, the place from which the ambassador operates, place that he or she lives and does their business, that ground, literally, the earth, is the territory of the United States. It, it isn't France. It is literally not France, legally. It is the United States. And that's what the church is like. We are right here in an outpost of heaven. And it is legally the outpost of heaven. Okay? Now, all things are put under his feet. We've talked about that. But it's not yet manifest that all things are put under his feet. But this is his. This is heavenly ground. So, of course, I'm bringing that up in part because I'm just an ambassador this morning. We are, this morning, Lord willing, going to talk about the body. <clears throat> uh, but first, I want to make a couple of follow-up comments to last night about marriage. And, and, and at first here, this is very practical. The beauty of what the Lord is showing us there in Ephesians 5, and the beauty of what he is uh, telling us about the fact that marriage depicts Christ and the church, means that your marriage has a higher purpose than just your marriage here on this earth. And that doesn't make it less. That doesn't mean, oh, it's not really about marriage, it's really about Christ and the church. You see, it doesn't make it less, it makes it more. Marriages fall apart all over the place because they have no higher purpose than themselves, you see? So I'm, what I'm saying to you is delight in that, rejoice in that, lean into that, we like to say, pursue that. Your marriage does have a higher purpose. And as you uh, get that vision in front of your mind, the, the, mar- the one you're enjoying now, as you get in front of your mind the higher purpose to depict, to picture the Lord Jesus Christ and his church, that is that higher purpose to fulfill that image as best you can. As you do that, the, the marriage that you know and love that is earthly will also become more and more sweet and glorious, I promise you. So quickly, two ways, very practical ways that we see that in Ephesians. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Didn't Brother Timothy talked about praying that the Lord would give us hearts that recognize that it is a delightful thing to rank under, to submit ourselves under our King. That is a delightful thing. Doesn't the church, I mean, 
I know, we're sinners, we don't always feel this way, but isn't it true that the church, that we, delight to submit ourselves to our Savior Jesus Christ? The church delight. You do, as the church, I know that you do. You delight to submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wives, you are fulfilling your side of that picture. You're fulfilling... You are witnessing to the world what the relationship of Christ to the church is like when you delightfully, willingly submit to your husband. Because that's what the church does. I'm trying to tell you to grab hold of that, to rejoice in that, to live that out, to to understand that even if your husband is unbelieving, or even if he is a believer but he is acting like he is unbelieving, do you see that it doesn't matter? You get to glorify God by looking like what the church looks like, doing what the church does. Husbands, it's the same, isn't it? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Giving yourself for the wife. That is what love looks like. Loving her no matter what. Loving her no matter what. then you fulfill what it looks like for Jesus Christ to love the church. And you glorify God, and, and you are fulfilling the calling of marriage to depict that relationship when you do that. <clears throat> there is a one bride, isn't there? One bride. Brother Jeb, this was the other thing I love, that we're going to walk down the aisle together. And that kind of sounds funny at first, right? Isn't it? I, I mean, I don't... <laughs> One bride, right? We don't have a whole crowd coming down the wedding. There weren't a whole crowd of other women coming down with Sister Jenna, you know, to marry with her. It sounds kind of odd, and yet doesn't your, wasn't your heart drawn to that? To walk down together? Why? Because though we are many, we are one. One bride. And we want, we want each other. We want the rest of the body. We know, we know we are one. God has put that in our heart. Well, right now, here and now as we live, so with the church. Listen, there is no alternate. Christ doesn't have a backup bride. He's not saying, you know, if it doesn't work out with her, I'll go get her. That is not how that works. There is nothing like the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he says the church is his bride, his one and only bride, is that not how we should treasure and love her as well. Sometimes I want to say to my wife, when I'm feeling this way, just so particularly, the expression is you're one in a million, and I can't say that because there's six plus billion people in the world, and that's not how I feel. You're not going to find one, another one every, every million, are you? To me, I'm telling you, she is the only woman in the world. There is no other. That is how Jesus Christ feels about his bride. This morning we're going to talk about the church as the body. <clears throat> so we're going to go back to Ephesians 5 and start here because we, we got into it a little bit last night. I'm going to break right into verse 27. Okay, you all ready? That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. 
he that loveth his wife loveth himself because she is him. You see, that's where he's headed. You love her as if she is your own body. And if you are loving your wife, you're really just loving yourself because they twain have become one flesh in a great mystery. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. A beautiful segue from marriage into body, because he says in marriage, you ought to be thinking of each other as the same body. One body. One one body. And so Christ thinks of the church as his body, not just thinks of it as if it's his body, like it's this nice analogy, but it says we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. In Ephesians 1, um, (laughs) you just always have to start in chapter 1, verse 1 in Ephesians, and we can't. He has set Christ at his own right hand, verse 20, in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, not which is like his body. You know, you have a body and the church is like how you have a body. That's not the language he uses here, which is his body. And then he says something, and listen, y'all correct me and fix me on this if I'm wrong, but I don't know how to read what he says next, except that what he says is, the church is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That his body, the church, his bride, is the fullness of him. Here we are, a bunch of sinners, and so that sounds kind of like you're as sinless as Jesus Christ. That's a very bold thing to say. I don't know. I wish I could analyze that better for you this morning. And Maybe the best thing to do is just to, to leave it there because Paul in Ephesians 5 says there is a great mystery about this. There's something about this that is so profound that it's very difficult for us to understand, to comprehend, to get all the way around and just be able to say, yeah, that that makes total sense. But what he says is that he is the head over all things to the church, and the church is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church is his body. The body is his, it belongs to him, it's his body. There's a head of that body, he's the head of the body. The body is one, even though it is also many. The body moves and acts, that's what bodies do, don't they? When you, when you, we talk about someone who is bedridden, that's not a good thing. Sitting in one place for too long causes health problems. The body is made to move and to act, and the body grows. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 
is a long passage and there's a lot here. I would like to read it and then glean some things from it this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about the, the gifts um, that the Spirit is giving. And in verse 11 he says, but, but all these, the giving of these gifts, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, but all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members... And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If, now, listen, what he's doing in this chapter is, this is as plain, it is so simple. He, he's telling you, He's telling us to look at the body that God has given you. I mean, you have hands and you have ears and you have eyes. This is, there's nothing real esoteric about this. He says, look, you've got a body. You've got a body. And Christ's body is like your body. So I exhort you this morning, use your imagination. You should, we don't have to use our imagination too much because I've got a body. Paul is saying, look at your body. And he's saying, that's how the church is. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not an eye, I must not be of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you, it's kind of strange to say, take your church thinking cap off first. Take your church thinking cap off, like what does this mean, and, and just read what it's saying. If your ear looks at your eye and says, well, I'm not an eye, so I guess I'm not part of the body. That's the point Paul's making. It's silly, isn't it? Of course it's part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? Kids, this is like one great big eye rolling around. <laughs> right? If the whole body were an ear, where were the hearing? You just picture me up here like one great big ear. Right? That's not a body. That's a body part. It's not a body. It's a member. If the whole were hearing, I'm sorry, if, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, then where were the smelling? But now hath God set members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Now look, again, let's keep your church thinking cap off. God has set members in your body, as it pleased him. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And let me just give you this little extra. It's very likely that... As with, I think, a lot of analogies in the scripture, Christ says, I am bread, uh, I am the living water, uh, all these things in creation that he points to and says, look there to understand some truth. I think it's most likely that God knew ahead of time what he wanted to portray, and so he designed things to portray those truths. This is not God saying, you know what, I need a good illustration for what the church is like. The body, I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty close. I'll go with that. I can probably work with that a little bit. No, God's smarter than that. Most likely, God literally made us physically so that we would and could represent this and be this picture. And so God hath set in our body, every one of them, 
members in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Look, this is so such a simple illustration, isn't it? And yet it is kind of a difficult concept because over he is hammering on this. He's spending a lot of time saying the same thing the same way, which is the body, the definition of a body is that it is comprised of many members and they are different. But it's one body. I don't look at this ear and say, well, that's Dan. Or this ear and, oh, that's not Dan. I'm Dan. You're Nathan. One body. But each member is very distinct. If they were all one member, then where were the body? If it's all one ear, that's not a body. But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye, and, now he's going to talk about this in a little bit of a different way, and the eye, there's two things going on here in this text. Number one, the ear can look at the eye and say, man, the eye is the most important sense in the human body. I'm just an ear. You can do pretty well without hearing as long as you can see. I'm not very important. I guess I'm not part of the body. Or the eye can look at the ear and say, you're just a little, you're just an ear. Not as important as me. You must not be part of the body. It goes both ways. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Man, listen. You ask someone who has actually lost a hand, right? Is your eye going to say to the hand, I have no need of thee? Of course not. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Again, I'm talking about your body, physical body, the head that does everything. The head that like, is you. It's the seed of your understanding. It, it's the one that directs everything. But if you've got no feet, the head can't go anywhere. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable... Upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. God hath tempered the body together. I want to pause there for just a moment. Do you know what tempering is? Tempering. Tempering. Tempering is the process by which you take a metal that is an alloy. That means it's made up of more than one metal made up of more than one kind of metal, already mashed up. It's two metals, but it's one metal. That's what steel is. Steel has one name. It's, it's steel, but it's actually made of more than one metal. Tempering the steel is where you heat it. Steel is very brittle. It's too hard. It breaks easily until you put it under extreme temperature for a while for just the right amount of time, and then cool it down. And then it becomes just pliable enough. It doesn't break. It doesn't shatter. Isn't that what the Lord does to the church? He, we're going to use, see this word in a moment. He compacts us together. That's a great word. Compacts. Okay, like a trash compactor. What does a trash compactor do? It takes all the pieces of trash and it compresses. It just pushes them closer and closer and closer together. That's, that's what compact means in the Bible. But having done that, he then 
He'll put you under pressure. We know he does that as individuals. He does that as churches too, doesn't he? He will do that to the body. He will put you under some heat. Please understand that when he does that, he is in the process of tempering you and actually making you stronger, less likely to break, more uh, moving together more easily so you don't split apart. That's what tempering means. And so it doesn't matter which part, body part it is, whether it's the comely seemingly or the uncomely or the ones we know we need and the things, ones we're not sure we need. You see, they're, they're not that separate. They have been melded together like a metal has been melded together into one and then tempered together. That there should be no schism, no division, none of that breaking, none of that splitting apart in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. I I mean, you hear how he's repeating this? You are the body of Christ, but you are also members in particular. Each individual here is an individual made by God. You got your own fingerprint. There's no one else like you in the world or the history of it or the history of the world to come. Nobody. You are unique. You are a member in particular. The eye is not the hand. The hand is not the eye. But they are one body. This is reflecting a truth that we will find all over the place, beginning, most importantly, uh, with God. A truth about God, which is that he is three in one, isn't he? We're not God. God is three in one in a a special (laughs) way. But that same idea of things that are separate and yet one, you find over and over, don't you? You find it in Ephesians 5. Two different people, but now they are actually one. You find it here in the body. Lots of distinct members, but they are also one. You find it in the very makeup of a man. Your body and soul and a spirit, and yet you're one man. I don't say my body's me, but my soul isn't. You're one. We see that in the body. Now, I read through this, and we're going to touch on some of these parts <clears throat> a little bit more. The body is one. One body, and it belongs to who is the person. Right? I'm Dan. This is my, this is, this is my body. My name is Dan. It belongs to an individual, a person. The body is Christ's. It's Christ's body we're talking about. And he is the head. He is the head. The body moves together. The body moves. The body acts. And when it does that, it does that in marvelous coordination, doesn't it? I mean, I'm just even, I'm up, I'm just standing here, but as I move my hands, and my arms, there is this marvelous coordination happening just in my hands. The body moves together in harmony as one body. We know this is true instinctively. We know when we see someone with a disease like, for example, Parkinson's, as many we could, we see a body that is cannot and does not move in harmony, cannot harmonize itself, cannot coordinate itself, it's wrong, isn't it? It, it, it? it looks wrong. It grieves us. It is not the way God made the body to function. God made the body to be coordinated. 
We watch a lot of ballet at our house because I have certain people that live at my house. I mean, like real like ballets uh, put on the screen, uh, Cinderella and my daughter's going to get on to me later. I can't even remember them now, the names of them. Um, now, listen, you may not be into ballet. I can't say I'm particularly into ballet, but you can't watch that without thinking there is the supreme example of the body moving in perfect coordination. It is beautiful, and it is beautiful what they can do with their bodies in space. Um, listen, I love baseball. Pitching requires a tremendous amount of coordination. It kind of looks like you just throw it, bring it back and throw it, right? But there are uh, very nuanced mechanics to throwing a ball like that. It takes a lot of coordination. That's how the body is supposed to move. <clears throat> but what happens when one member is suffering, right? When one member is suffering, that pitcher, all it takes is a blister on your pinky and they go to the DL. They, they can't do what, they're, what they can't do what they normally do because their pinky has a blister. That's all it takes to send them to the injured list. Okay? When one member suffers, the whole body suffers. We all know this is true, right? You think your pinky's not important until you burn it on the stove. And then Paul is saying, the Lord is saying, look at the way your body works. This is how the body of Christ works. When your pinky has been burned. Your whole, that's all your body can think about, isn't it? When you get a little twitch in your side and a muscle you didn't know you had, and it's not really that big a deal, but by the end of the day, the other side of your body hurts. Your whole body hurts. Everything You're having to rethink everything about how you move and act because that's all your body can think about. The, the most unimportant seemingly member, when it is hurting, the whole body hurts with it. That's how we are to be as the body of Christ. The body um, the body grows. <clears throat> the body grows. We often say to our kids, we often say to our kids, you know, slow down. <laughs> slow down, please. You're growing too fast. You're getting too big too fast. It, it's happening way too fast. I just need you to slow down for a while. And in a way, that would be great, but after a little while, we would start to be worried, wouldn't we? We don't really mean that because it is right and proper and natural the way God made the body for it to grow. So we may spend, in a couple of different ways, most of our time that's left there. I'm just going to pray that, listen, I ask you to do this, and I mean it. Just go home. And read 1 Corinthians 12 again and think about what Paul is saying. Because I don't have time to go and dwell on all of these different, but all these things that I've just talked about, how the one member suffers, they all suffer uh, the coordination of the body and the way we're to move together. Um, it's all there. Let you go and reflect on that some more. But the church is to grow. So first, let's go back to Ephesians. which is after 2 Corinthians, not before it. Okay. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. There's some very similar language here back in uh, Ephesians 
4, 7, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He gave gifts unto men. He gave some apostles, prophets, some evangelists. This sounds a lot like the context there of 1 Corinthians. And then he says, he gave these things in verse 4, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity, we're, all, we're, we're trying to be as much one as we can, in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. It means a fully grown, completely mature man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Parents, you look at your children and we delight in right where they are right now. But we also have an idea, we have a picture in our head of what it looks like for this person to be grown, to be mature, to be an adult. We don't know exactly what they'll look like, you know, but, but we have this goal. There's a target. There's a, 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 um, a standard that we expect them to reach, to grow into. The body of Christ, what that looks like, is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It looks like growing up into him in all things. We're about to read that. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom? From whom? It is ultimately by the head, by the power of the head, by the direction of the head, and him alone from whom the whole body fitly joined together, right? Those rocks, that song we love to sing, the stones are wisely polished and fitted into their place. This body is fitly joined together, isn't it? I can't really improve on that phrase. It is fitly joined. The members are fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Now, what does a joint do? It connects two members together, doesn't it? So many joints in a church. Members connected one to another. And if you have a finger severed, God forbid, at a joint, and it can't be reattached, it's not part of the body anymore because it isn't joined. You see, it doesn't have a joint joining it. It's <laughs> the finger's going to rot, and I'm not trying to give you an analogy of the church and someone being cut off from the church. What my point is simply that it's the joints that, that connect us from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that. I love that, right? We're being pressed closer and closer and closer together until we just look like one, one thing. According to the effectual working, in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The body grows. <clears throat> How does the body grow? How does the body grow? Now, I'm not as good at the practical as Brother Lewis. I'm so thankful that he got up and preached what he did yesterday with his very particular gift. But he tells us how the body grows. See, it doesn't just happen. You know, that's true for children, too, really. I mean, yes, they will. They'll get bigger. But children need things in order to grow to maturity. They need certain things. They need certain kinds of nourishment. They need certain kinds of instruction. They need 
I'm not even talking about religious instruction. I mean, a kid needs to be taught <laughs> uh, how to act and operate in this world. How to have some common sense. And so there is a how. And when he talks, when he, here in verse 11 and 13, when he says, We're growing unto a perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But the Lewis, I think it was, mentioned this. One of the first things he says is, he talks about doctrine. Doctrine. That is truth, facts, things that are right versus things that are wrong, things that are true versus things that are false. And then sure enough, he says, but speaking the truth in love, truth and love. Now, Paul says in first Timothy, I've written these things to you that thou mayest, that thou may know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the church of God. So there's a proper way to behave yourself in the church of God which is the church, which is the house of God, the house of God, which is the church, uh, the pillar and ground of the truth. So let's go back to our building analogy. He's using building terms. It is a pillar and a ground. A pillar holds up a building. A pillar is that what supports the building. Uh, In my office at, uh, in Dallas at work, um, it's, you know, this really clean and pristine uh, office space with cubes and spaces and all that. And periodically, there are these massive round pillars. And they're painted to look like everything else. And they sort of blend in, but they kind of don't. Even in that really fancy modern building, there are pillars that are holding up the building. And then he says it's the ground of the truth. That is like a, a, a stay. Now, we don't use that term as much anymore. But if you've seen some of these tall uh, cell phone towers or just any really tall tower... And it's got these big old cables coming down to the ground. What are those big old cables there for? They are holding up the tower. They're keeping it firm and keeping it secure. And the scripture says one of the commissions, talk about the great commission in Matthew, and it's there, but one of the great commissions of the church, important charges of the church, is to hold the truth, to guard it, to protect it, to proclaim it, That is essential for a church. That's what he says. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. So two things. If you call, if you are a church, you need, you must be about the business of understanding and guarding and protecting truth. And secondly, if you're looking for truth, you will find it in church. Now, I don't mean you're going to find it in any place that says church out front. Because the sad thing is there are a lot of places that say church out front that are forsaking the most fundamental truths that there are. I'm not, I'm, not even, I'm not even talking this morning about, we can talk about, I'm not even talking this morning about Arminianism or Calvinism. Or, there are truths there, right? But I'm, there are people this morning who say, you know what, you can choose whether you want to be a man or a woman. There are churches that say that. It's not true. So fundamentally departed that I do not think you can call that assembly a church anymore. And so you will not necessarily find truth just because you walk in the door of a building that has church out front. But what I'm telling you is that if you, that's where you will find it. If you want to find truth, it's in the church you're going to find it. Because the Lord is preserving his church. If you're looking for truth, go to church and keep going to church. And if they're way off on the truth so much that you can say, I'm not even sure this is a church, go find another one, okay? Come to this one. (laughs) 
But my point is, that's what the church is supposed to do. And if the church is not uh, under, growing in their understanding of and speaking to each other truth, then we're not growing. That's what he says. Part of growing is the truth. Well, what, kind, what truth are you talking about? Any truth. Really, truly. I mean, any truth. We are to be pursuing wholeheartedly the understanding of all the truth we can get our hands on. That includes the way that Jesus saved people. That includes whether uh, how God made the world, men and women, right? That includes the truth about how I'm supposed to speak to you today. That's, it's all truth. And the church is to be about the business of truth. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And if you stop being that, you're not a church anymore. I'm not concerned about that here at Grace Chapel. I'm not concerned about that at my church. But that's, that's how real that statement is there in Timothy. But that he also says, speaking the truth in love, doesn't he? Now, they go together. And you cannot, these are two things that in our minds seem to be like I can do one or the other, right? I can either tell it like it is, or I can be really nice and warm and fuzzy. And you're going to have to pick one, right? I can't do both. That's not what the scripture says. Speaking the truth in love. And I will say this to you. Love without truth is not love. It's not really love. It's not. Now, you may have really good feelings toward the person, but I'm telling you scripturally, love without truth isn't really love. Jesus Christ saying, I love, but I'm not really worried about the truth that you are all filthy and nasty and corrupted. And so that's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. What is the consequence of that kind of a love that doesn't deal with truth? You're not going to see God one day because you can't be in his presence without being perfected without having righteousness love and truth is how the church grows he gets very practical with this and so i want to read a little bit of it because you want to keep saying well have you ever heard of the the five whys you know if you're trying to understand root cause you're trying to understand something you say well why and then when you get an answer you say why again okay well why that And then, well, why that? And why that? And what they say is, by about the fifth why, you find out the real real cause. It's one thing to say truth and love, but the scripture gets very, very practical about what that means. So when we continue right here in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off... Concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's really good instruction, and that sounds great. That's like the second or third why. And there's another one. Well, what does that mean to put off and put on? So, wherefore, 
putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. How ridiculous is it for me to tell myself a lot? Now, the reality is we, can't, we do that a lot, don't we? we? We deceive ourselves plenty. But thinking about the hand, right? The right hand lying to the left. It doesn't make sense. You're one. You're one body. So we speak truth one to another. Now, <clears throat> I just want to say about this one, lying. We probably, most of you, don't go around lying to each other. But we do sometimes in very subtle, quiet ways lie, deceive, not quite tell the truth. Um, let me just leave that there. But understand, you know, we can't read this. Uh, don't lie, tell the truth, and, and think, well, you know, that's what I teach my children. It doesn't apply to me. I think if you'll, if you'll search your heart and you'll search your words and you'll search your interactions with each other, you'll find that in in very subtle ways, uh, we still need this admonition. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Look, sometimes you are going to get angry. You are. This is often applied to husbands and wives uh, very appropriately. Um, sometimes you're going to get angry. And, and really the intent of this is not some legalistic, it's 11.59 and 59 seconds, you better call them right now and wake them up and not let the sun go down upon their wrath. But the idea here is that, as we sell our children sometimes, nothing else is going to happen until we deal with this. This is the priority. Don't, don't let it sit. You've got to deal with this. <clears throat> Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but instead let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. You don't just, uh, you don't just stop stealing. You labor so you can give. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And I, I, I believe here when he says grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, it's not like, oh yeah, I forgot this other thing. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God out of context. He means that speak the way we speak to one another will please or grieve the Spirit of God. Whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And then, as he keeps saying, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has given you, hath forgiven you. So, what it looks like to walk in truth, to grow up into him in all things, we all want to grow up in our head. Jesus Christ, yes. How do I do that? Love and truth. Okay, well, what is truth mean it means what 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 did who are the actors in everything we just read this is how we interact with each other with each other the way you live out truth the way you grow up into him in all things has everything to do with how the members interact with each other with each other even as god for christ's sake hath forgiven you and listen this just continues we're going to stop here in ephesians and go somewhere else for a moment but in ephesians 5 1 be ye therefore followers of god as dear children and walk in love as christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us and he continues don't fornicate put away uncleanness put away covetousness all right he just goes on and on with this here i'm going to stop there with that for a moment because i want to go back to first corinthians 1 Corinthians 12, long chapter, a lot of time spent on this body thing, right? A lot of time spent saying the same thing over and over 
in different ways really wants us to get this point. I want you to just notice one thing. Where we came from in Ephesians, if you back up just a little further, you find the passage where he says one, uh, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one, 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 till we all come in the unity of the Spirit uh, in the bond of peace. Uh, exhorts us to uh, have the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, one. Now, we know we can't literally merge our bodies and our minds and our souls together. So, you know, what is one is kind of like this. Becoming one is sort of this idea. But he really means it. Listen, saying that, the Lord, that God is three in one, one is one. One is one. One is not divisible. One stands alone. There is something, I believe, profound beyond what we will be able to fully grasp until glory, profound in our unity, our oneness. We will always be members in particular, that very precise language. Members, even in glory, you're not going to lose your you-ness, you're not. And yet we will be one in a way that is hard for us to get our heads around here, I think. I, I think really in marriage, as I said last night, there are times when in marriage you can actually taste that a little bit. You, you, I mean more than body, but spirit and soul, right? Where you... You feel like, we, are we even different people? We, one. And he does the same thing here in 1 Corinthians 12, and especially in those first few verses. As the body is one, members of that one body, by one spirit, baptized into one body, all drink into one spirit. The body is not one member. How many times can you say it in three verses? Well, that's 1 Corinthians 12, the body. What comes after 12? What number comes after 12? 13. What's 1 Corinthians 13? What is it? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13 doesn't live in the Bible in, its, in some little isolated place, in a vacuum. It has a context. 1 Corinthians 13 follows 1 Corinthians 12. He says in verse 27, Ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. This is almost tedious, but Paul's making a point by being specific and tedious. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No, not all exactly the same. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. <clears throat> okay, I, I'm not going to read 1 Corinthians 13, and that feels like kind of a shame. But I would say to you again, go home and read 1 Corinthians 12, and then read 1 Corinthians 13, because the more excellent way is love. Do you know that if you are positively let me, let me come at this different. The Ten Commandments are full of, you know, uh, commandments about how we interact with each other, and they're all thou shalt not. Don't covet, don't steal, don't kill, don't this, don't that. That's truth. Don't do those things. But what Christ says is, and actually even in the Old Testament, really, he says, 
All those commandments are fulfilled in this one, which is love. Now, those are all negatives. Do not. Love is a positive. It is do. And what he says is, if you love, you'll fulfill them all. You won't have to be keeping track of a big list of all the things that I've got to remember to not do. Love. Now, those things are there for a reason. We need details sometimes, don't we? Well, Lord, help. what is it? What does it look like to be like you? Well, it looks like not coveting, not stealing, not lying, not right? But what he means is, I'm telling you, if you are loving that brother, that sister that you're looking at, if you are truly from your heart full on loving, you will not do them ill. That's what Romans said. Loving your neighbor... If you love your neighbor, you will work them no ill. You cannot. They're not compatible. You love. This can be very, very practical. What, can I just be real practical for a minute with you men? Because I'm a man. If you are loving the female person you're looking at, whether you know her or not, if you are, I mean, with the love of Christ, loving, you will not lust. I'm telling It works. It works. You put that on and the other simply won't be there. You can't, you can't do them both, you see? So we love one another. Uh, getting close to closing here. I want to do what feels like a real subject change, but it's not. Because there was a time when Jesus Christ used the word body in a different way. He said... Take, eat, this is my body. And I just, I want to, just for a moment, I want to talk about the importance of the Lord's Supper in the church. Uh, It is more important than we think it is. It's more important than you think it is. And I'm not trying to put you down. I'm just saying uh, that's that's true. But we, uh, it's more important than I realize that it is. The Lord's Supper. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's bread and wine. You see, we're in the New Testament. We're in the New Testament. You know how much of the Bible is committed to, to describing tangible, physical things that they, that they were supposed to do and were required to do? Cleansings of all kinds. Sacrifices of all kinds. I mean, there was a, a law for everything, and we're talking about physical things. The tabernacle itself, built of stuff, and all that stuff pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that, right? The Old Testament is just full of physical objects that were pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't need those anymore. I mean, we don't. We have the fulfillment, right? We say, well, we don't, we don't have a tabernacle anymore. We have the church. We have the spiritual house, right? I'm not going to try to go list them all. You understand that. We understand that we're now living in a fulfillment of, and that to have these physical things as if doing a, a blood sacrifice, as if that's what's going to cleanse me, we don't do that anymore. They were commanded to then, and there was a reason. We don't. And yet, Christ himself commanded us to eat bread and drink wine. Not vague, not in some, you know, pretend like you are, or just think about as if you were. He told us to eat bread that got baked by somebody from wheat and wine from grapes. That is actually really strange if you think about it, isn't it? It's strange because we don't do all that other stuff. I thought we were in the New Testament. I thought this was the spiritual age, you know, where all those things are fulfilled. He told us to do it. 
I think there are a few reasons for it, but I want to highlight, first of all, the importance of it. I want to do this by looking at uh, 1 Corinthians. I'm not even going to turn there. I just want to talk to you about this. In 1 Corinthians 5, what we see is that the man that had a all kind of crazy relationship with his mother-in-law, living in sin, hadn't repented. And at the end of that chapter, what Paul says is, put away that wicked person from among from you. Put away that wicked person from... Well, what does that mean? Don't we, don't we let wicked people in? Isn't that what church is about? Like, we don't check your card at the door and say, I'm sorry, have you fornicated? Have you ever been an adulterer? You can't come in. This is who Jesus Christ walked with. Now, he didn't leave him there. He told the woman, he told that woman, neither do I condemn thee. Praise God. And then he said, go thy way and sin no more. So don't misunderstand me. But you understand that we're all sinners. And the door of the church is open to sinners. So what does it mean to put away that wicked person? What does that even mean? Does it, we're not going to close the door. We're not filtering the people that come in. If you're a wolf, we're going to filter you. If you're a wolf and we find you, we're not going to let you in the door. Okay? But we're talking about sinners. What does that mean? Well, a few verses before, he says, with such an one, know not to eat. And, and you have study this. and Check with Brother Isaac and Brother Zach. But my understanding of this passage is what it means to put away from among you, to put out of the church. The progression in Matthew where he says, you talk to one another, and then you go talk to another couple of brothers, and then you bring it to the church. And if he still won't listen, then you put him out of the church. What does that really mean? I believe from 1 Corinthians 5, it means you don't get to eat the Lord's Supper. You don't get to eat the Lord's Supper. That's really what that means. And so I, we can hear that and think, oh, well, okay, no big deal. Nothing really changed, right? They might still come to church. What's the big deal? That's the point. It's a big deal. It is a big, big deal to the Lord Jesus Christ participating in the communion of the Lord's Supper and eating the bread and drinking the wine. And aren't, isn't it gracious and good of God to give us bread and wine? Because guess what? I'm made of carbon. I mean, I'm made of stuff. And what the Lord says in His goodness is, eat bread, drink wine, and understand that I am made of those things too. I'm not here, but this is my body. And I am just this real. And you ingest me. And you partake of me, like Brother David was talking about. Yesterday, How kind of God to leave us something tangible that we can do that reminds us He is just that real. This isn't all just, forgive me, spiritual. Spiritual is important, but we can get to thinking that way, right? The Lord's Supper is incredibly important. I also say this, I I think that's the basis for understanding that there's an idea of membership in the church. Because that church was told, don't eat with Him. How do you know who to eat with and who not to eat with? Well, you know. There's certain people you do and certain people you don't because they are in the body and the others aren't. And the distinction is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. Because the Lord sees that as incredibly important. I've been thinking about that for two or three years and it's still blowing my mind. I'm still not there. I'm still not appreciating the Lord's Supper like I know I need to. But that's the only way I know to conclude from the scripture how important that is. So you value it too. The Lord's Supper is precious 
What, you mean eating bread and drinking wine? Yes. Yes. In communion with the body as one, eating bread and drinking wine. I wish I could right now preach a whole sermon on the beauties of those symbols. Um, wine in particular is unbelievably rich. Listen, don't, please, don't eat, drink grape juice. You are completely missing the point if you use grape juice. You are. I'm sorry. The symbolism in the making of wine is rich, rich. You know the sweetness comes from the crushing? The sweetness of a wine, the sweetness of a grape happens when you crush it. There's a lot more there. Let me, let me close here. by I want to tie back into uh, David. Brother Timothy gave me this one, and I thank him for it. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Uh, this is after Saul has died, and there's a little bit of unrest and uncertainty, and people trying for the throne, and uh, citing you know, fract- factions in the, in the Israelites and in the tribes about who's going to be king, and some stuff happens. And they get, we get to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, All the tribes of Israel as one, to David in Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. We are thy bone and thy flesh. And they say, You are our king. Let us do that. Let us come to the Lord Jesus Christ as one and say, We are thy bone and thy flesh. You are our king. We don't want any other. We've tried the others. They didn't work out. You are our only king. In Ephesians, end of chapter 3, ends gloriously. To him be glory in the church. By In the church. God is glorified all over. Yes, yes. But in a special way, it is our job and it is our purpose and it is what will happen if whether, you know, the rocks will cry out if we don't. A church somewhere is going to be doing this, glorifying God in the church by Christ Jesus. You know, the church is designed, uh, God intends for the church to be the means of instructing the angels in his great work of salvation. That's, uh, that's really what he says over in uh, Ephesians 310, that to the principalities and powers, I'm not going to get this exactly right, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. In other words, the church will make known to them. That's God's intent. That's God's design. What you're doing here is important. You're not just a little group of people here on this crummy earth trying to play church. God, in His wisdom, and in His providence, has said, angels, you want to know about what Jesus Christ has done? And they do. Their whole purpose of existing is to glorify God with every shred of understanding that they can get. And so when God says, you want to know about this greatest work of my son, you have to go to church. That's where the church is going to make it manifest unto you. That's how that works. When he says glory in the church by Christ Jesus, world without end, amen. Let me close with Psalm uh, Let me close with Psalm 48. <clears throat> Let me also give you, if you're writing down, write these down and go read them. Psalm 122, Psalm 20, and Psalm 134. 
122, 20, and 134. But we're going to look, read Psalm 148. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there, and pain as of a woman in travail. This is like them looking, seeing the victorious, the triumphant, the absolutely will triumph and will win church, all the kings. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish her it forever. Selah. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. And here's an admonition for you. Walk about Zion. And go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. That means you know her. You know every tower. I cannot, I love that word tell. It means count. But it's a richer word than that. Because this is like not just I can recite them off, but I can tell you about them. Tell. To tell the towers thereof. Mark you well her bulwarks. Her strong places. Her places of strength. Consider her palaces. Her places of great beauty, that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Thank you for your attention and your patience this morning. It has been such a blessing to be here and uh, to proclaim the word. And if you have been fed and encouraged, I'm just the ambassador. And I praise God for the truth of his word and the enabling of his spirit to help Men, no matter how eloquent, nothing, not worthy, the enabling of the Spirit to to proclaim it in a way that people can hear and understand. God bless you.